Good morning, church. Uh, I get the privilege of reading uh, the passage today with you. And so um, we're going to be in Mark 2, and we're going to start with verse 13. So if you have your Bibles, grab them, follow along. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Over you, Joel. Well, thank you to to Rachel for sharing our reading this morning. Well, if you're familiar with this passage, perhaps you're thinking, wow, what a lot there is in there. I know that when I was preparing it, I was thinking to myself, I don't know that we're going to be able to cover everything in this one message. And sometimes you think to yourself, well, if I had two or three weeks just on these verses, maybe even one week a verse, I could really do justice to it. But don't worry, that's not what we're going to do. Instead, I want to kind of draw out three main thoughts within this passage. And so those three thoughts, three kingdom values, really, are family, immediacy, and seeing it from God's perspective, having kingdom eyes. Family, immediacy, and kingdom eyes. Well, the first thing that I want to draw to our attention is that Jesus is moving around. He's doing his thing. If you're familiar with Jesus' story, when he first starts his ministry, what he does is he he goes wandering around a bit, gathering people up. This isn't a particularly deep teaching, deep theology. This is just an observation. And I think actually it's a great observation because he's building people around him. He's building a team, he's building a squad. And and whatever you think about life, whatever you think about how things are at the moment, whether you're an introvert who's thriving, loving every minute of lockdown, or whether you're an extrovert scratching at the doors of your house, desperate to get out and ready to have a four hour heart to heart with the postman even, whatever the case may be, I think we all know that we need people. This is where it would be lovely to have people in church because I feel like people would be nodding, smiling. Hey, we might have even got an amen. I know we're more Baptist than Pentecostal and sometimes I think we could really do with a few amens in the room. In many ways, saying that we need people seems a little bit redundant at the moment, perhaps even untimely. But I think it's also a great thing to recognise. Actually, there are times in our lives where we really feel the need of other people. 
there are times like now you might be thinking, I'm desperate to see my friends. Maybe you've got godchildren or maybe you're a grandparent with grandchildren. Maybe you're just desperately missing your girlfriends or, or your guy friends. You're missing your people. And I think family comes in all different forms. This morning being Mother's Day, we're thinking of our mums and we've said a prayer for them. We've reflected on how great they are. And sometimes we're better at recognising how great they're doing than they are. And, and at other times, they really know that they're doing well. But I think at the moment, we just want to keep encouraging them, telling them that we see all that they're doing, how hard they're working, how hard this has been on them amongst so many other people. And how really, in many ways, they're frontline workers too. But as we continue on, as we think about building those people around us, as Jesus is building the group of people that's following him, I love this passage for its simplicity. I'm going to read it again for us. It says, he went out again beside the sea and the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. Jesus is beginning ministering to people. And it says, he passed by and he saw Levi sitting at the tax booth and he said, follow me. And he rose and followed him. You see, it really is that simple sometimes. And I'm going to come on to that in a moment as we talk about immediacy. But what does it look like for us just to be building family? We see Jesus going around. He sees someone. He bumps into them. He says, hey, follow me. And they join the crew. For us as a church family, we're constantly saying, hey, you are welcome here. You're welcome to be a part of our church family. And while our buildings might be shut at the moment, and we're here in Ainsford Baptist Church this morning, and as Stone Baptist Church and Ainsford Baptist Church together, we want everyone to know of these buildings, these places, these houses of God, that people are welcome here and they're welcome to come however they are, whatever they look like, however they're dressed, whatever is going on in their life, that they are always welcome. We want to say, let's walk together, let's do life together, let's go on a journey together through life, pursuing Jesus. And when Jesus invites every one of us to follow him each one of us has that opportunity just to say yeah I'm going to do that and the really remarkable thing in this passage to me is that Jesus says follow me and he right away gets up and follows I wonder what Jesus reputation was like in that region that this guy sees Jesus coming along Jesus says hey follow me and he instantly goes yeah, okay <laughs> I wonder what he was expecting. Was he expecting to become a disciple? Because in the tradition, you have teachers going around and they have people who are their close followers who are learning from them. Is he thinking, well, that's great. He's invited me to follow him, but I've not, I'm not going to be able to do what he does. I'm not going to be one of his close followers. He's just enjoy, inviting me to join the crowd or to, to join the conversation or to chat with him for a moment. I wonder what it is that he was expecting. Because I think our expectations when we're invited to follow someone are really important. You know, sometimes we as Christians, when we're talking about what it means to be a Christian, when I say, hey, you know, can I just share who Jesus is with you? 
we sometimes downplay the significance of what Jesus is going to do in our hearts. And because we downplay it, because we, we don't manage to share the full story, we begin to lose some of the truth, some of the significance of it. Sometimes people do such a great job of making it sound like it's going to be wonderful. When someone then has a bad day, they feel a little bit like, oh, I guess I'm, I'm not a very good Christian then. Or other times they don't realize that in becoming a follower of Christ, they're going to have to put their opinion second as they try and live out God's calling on their lives, God's purposes in their lives. And I can't help but wonder if that isn't some sort of unwelcome surprise to them. Other times we, we invite people to become a Christian and it seems like once you've become a Christian, maybe you're done. What would it look like if Levi said, yeah, okay, follows him for 20 minutes, goes, I'm going to go get lunch now, and then hangs out with his buddies and then never puts into practice any of the things that he's heard Jesus talking about. That invitation to follow is something that is given to every single one of us. We are all invited to follow. And when Jesus says, hey, follow me, the challenge to us is to get up and go. Sometimes as Christians, I think we also worry about what it will look like to follow. We think, well, what if I don't like it? What if in following Jesus, he asks me to do something I don't want to do? What if he asks of me something that I find really difficult? And when you've been a Christian a while, perhaps you begin to think, well, actually, I know that when God asks me to do something... It might not be what I want to do in the moment, but I know it's going to be for his glory and for my good, ultimately. Because everything God asks us to do is for his glory and is usually a blessing to us. Because everything that is good, every good and perfect gift comes from God. But we're not doing it so that God will give us a gift. We're doing it because we're choosing to put him first. One of the greatest challenges to parents, I always think, is to teach their children to be kind. Because kindness is really thinking of somebody else before yourself, isn't it? Thinking of somebody else's wants or needs, taking time to consider how they might feel. And I think actually kindness is very counter-cultural to the world that we live in today. And so I think we can always assume that God is going to be kind to us. You know, there are some great passages. It says that he's near to the brokenhearted. It says that he has plans for our good, not to bring evil to us, but to give us a hope and a future. It talks about how God died for those who were ungodly, unjustified in the way they were living. That he loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to die in our place. And yet we still... We still struggle to really understand who this Jesus is. We struggle to live his way rather than our own. We struggle to put him first, to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm not surprised that that's part of the Lord's Prayer. Because I think actually we need to be praying that out. 
And actually, one of the things that strikes me as the most remarkable things about the Lord's Prayer is that we often teach that it's the simplest form of prayer when Jesus was teaching his followers how to pray. We think of it as the basic prayer, the, the simplest prayer, the starting block. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And yet it's got some of the biggest challenges. The biggest challenges to us as followers. Another one of those huge challenges is as we ask for forgiveness. Forgive me my sins, my trespasses, the things I do wrong as I forgive others. You see, there's immediacy in this passage. And I think that immediacy, that imperative to put God first, to respond quickly and to follow his leading continues. It isn't something that we do it once and we're done. And I know people say that patience is a virtue, and I'm sure that patience is a virtue when it's full of the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure it is a virtue when we're hoping for somebody else to do the right thing and we're waiting and trusting God for it. I'm sure it is a virtue when we're praying and asking the Lord to move in an area of our lives. The way we treat others, I'm sure patience is a virtue. But sometimes I think that we are so patient with ourselves and we really need a sense of holy discomfort. We need to respond to the immediacy of the instruction, the invitation to follow me and to get up and get going. You see, it's not that Jesus is some sort of unreasonable boss. Nothing about this Bible story leads us to think that Jesus is his boss. It's not that he's cracking the whip. It's not that he's hustling him to get something done. But it's that the nature of a follower, the nature of a disciple, is to want to follow along closely. Are you following along closely this morning? It's so easy to get into bad habits and lose good habits, isn't it? Whether it's getting up early to make time for your quiet time, whether it's prioritizing giving is one of the ways you worship, whether it's remembering to pray in every situation. The Bible talks about praying unceasingly. There's nothing going on in your life that God isn't interested in hearing about from you. It's so challenging to us to continue giving our lives to Jesus, accepting his gift of grace and giving up being the Lord of our lives ourselves. But when we do, when we begin to develop our kingdom-shaped perspective, when we begin to recognise what it is to see the world the way God does, when we begin to recognise who Jesus is, and actually that's one of the things that I think is most remarkable in this passage. It's that same point that I've commented on before. He gets up and he goes. As I started out, I was saying, well, I wonder what Jesus' reputation is. I wonder if he knows him personally. I wonder if 
all of these things. It would be great to spend lots of time in the background of this passage. But actually, I just want to bring our attention to this one simple fact rather than going all the way there. Clearly, he sees Jesus for who he is. He might not have a full revelation, but he knows enough to get up and go. Do you know enough to get up and go this morning? Do you know enough to pursue Jesus? Perhaps you've never had the opportunity to, to question that in your own lives. Perhaps you've never responded to the question, do I know who Jesus is? You know, every Sunday is a come to Jesus moment. All through our weeks, there are opportunities to turn to him. And so whether it's right now, whether it's sometime later, perhaps you're watching this on some sort of catch up. Now is a great opportunity to give your life to Jesus. And if that's you, send us a message, send us a direct message through Facebook. And if you want someone to pray with, we'll sort that out for you. If you know what to do, great, do it. Let us know so that we can be praying for you. And if you've got a bunch of questions, this isn't like some kind of marketing scam. We're not going to bombard you with emails. We're not going to start trying to sell you things. Actually, the invitation isn't ours to extend, it's God's. Because God says, follow me. Another passage that's an invitation for us to follow God says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. Are we seeing Jesus for who he is? For you this morning, perhaps you've been a Christian a long time. Perhaps it isn't that it's something new to you. Perhaps you're well acquainted with Jesus. Perhaps you go so far as to call him an old friend, a dear friend. But perhaps you've lost sight of that call to immediacy, that call to relationship, that invitation to spend time with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if that's you, it's really not hard to make it right. And I think another of the incredible things about God is that he doesn't beat us up when we get it wrong. He's not a hard parent, criticising us, chastising us, telling us where we've gone wrong and making us feel bad. Instead, he's our loving Heavenly Father calling us into relationship with him, calling us into intimacy And you might be questioning, well, who does Jesus love? Who is Jesus here for? Is Jesus really here for me? Is this invitation to being part of God's family something that I'm meant to respond to? I'd like to. And I think we've got some great questions from the Pharisees. They don't often get a, a good job, attaboy kind of attitude from preachers often. Uh, but I think they're a wonderful sermon illustration time and again. 
And here they are with a fantastic question. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answers so simply. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. You know, that's the great invitation to us. It's not that we need to get it right to be acceptable to God. It's not that we're going to have it all nailed, all perfect, all sorted. Jesus came because God knew that we needed more help. And so who does Jesus love? Well, I think Jesus loves you. Who's Jesus here for? I think Jesus is here for you. Who is Jesus calling? I think Jesus is calling you. And don't get me wrong, I think he's calling me too. I think he's calling each one of us. But he calls us by name. He knows us. He created us. He's our heavenly father. Another well-known Bible passage says that man judges the external appearance, but the Lord knows the heart. God knows your heart. He sees your heart. If your heart would simply turn to him this morning, if you would confess that you need his help and you want him to be the Lord of your life, it really is as simple as that. That's the first step. The second step is exactly the same. You wake up. The very next day and you say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. You wake up the third day, you say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And some days this is going to be hard. It's going to feel like you're carrying something weighty. Sometimes we even talk about it being so weighty, it feels like picking up a cross, just like Jesus was crucified on. Taking up our cross and following. Other times it's really easy. It's wonderful. You know, there are some Sundays in church where it is almost euphoric. Sometimes people even criticize Christianity for being a bit of a crutch to people because it is so effective in helping people endure, helping people follow. And actually, could Christianity be a crutch? Well, Throughout coronavirus, I've questioned time and again how people cope who don't know Jesus. I don't think that makes it a crutch. I think it makes it a life-giving relationship. And that's the invitation to each one of us. To begin to develop our kingdom-shaped perspective. To have kingdom eyes. Eyes that see the kingdom wherever they go. See the people that are lost to see the people that Jesus loves see the people that Jesus would be eating with to see the ugliness in somebody's life as a wonderful opportunity for a testimony to the faithfulness of God to see the potential to see the need and to see Christ's ability to meet every need You know, I had a great definition of discipleship just recently. They said discipleship is simply training to be more like Jesus. I think that's the challenge to us. That's what it looks like to have a kingdom-shaped perspective. You see, the Pharisees didn't have a kingdom-shaped perspective. 
They weren't seeing people the way God sees them. They were seeing people and they were judging them and they were seeing the negative, the bad. They were seeing the things that would make them unclean, culturally unclean, undesirable, unworthy. And for those reasons, they were saying, well, why would he hang out with them? We need to see potential. We need to see people. We need to see them from Christ's perspective. If we want to see Christ work in their lives. And the scribes, the Pharisees, these people all around keep asking, why is Jesus doing that? Why is he talking to them? Why doesn't he get it? And I think we as the church can have that same mentality if we're not careful. We can start asking ourselves, why doesn't God get this? (laughs) When in reality, we're the ones that need to take on Christ's perspective. You see, when we have Christ's perspective, and the opportunity to us to have Christ's perspective is something we need to respond to with immediacy. We need to see what he's doing. We need to see what he's doing and then we need to join in. See what God is doing and then join in. Because when we do that, we begin to build the family of God. See what I've done here? I've flipped the whole thing. (laughs) We're going backwards. And this is me recapping as we wind up. You see, when you see people the way God sees them, when you begin to take on Christ's perspective on the world, when you see the opportunity to meet somebody's need, when you see the opportunity to point someone to Christ, when you see the opportunity in your own life to bring something under the authority of God, our greatest opportunity is not just to recognise and go, great, that's good, I can work on that later, but to do it right now. To do it right now. And in doing that, we begin to extend the kingdom of God, the family of faith, in our own lives by bringing more of our own life, our personal discipleship under his rule and reign, his authority, God first, us second. And not only that, we have the opportunity to help other people do this. And again, sometimes the church can get a little bit, you know, a little bit wrong here when we try and point to somebody else's life and we start pointing out the things that we think they need to change. But instead, we lose sight of the fact that what we're we're told to do, the example we have is to follow Christ and encourage them to follow him too. To help them recognise the opportunity to practice immediacy, but to recognise that the way we do it is family. We're a family of faith. Healthy families don't beat up the weaker members of the family. Loving parents, older brothers and sisters. We want to be a healthy family. We want to be a family that loves well and fights for one another and fights for God's best. And you know, one of the most amazing ways you can do that is to simply pray, to pray for somebody, to share with somebody. And in the same ways, when I got up a moment ago, I said, well, maybe you'd like to phone the mums in your life And just tell them how much you appreciate them. Phoning a friend. Phoning someone you know from church. Just encouraging them. Speaking life to them. You might not be able to go out and hang out for the day. Or have them round to your house. 
But there is always an opportunity. There is always an opportunity for us to glorify God. There is always an opportunity for us to glorify God. And that's what I'd like to pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd help us to recognise who you are and why that matters. Father, help us to have a kingdom-shaped perspective. Help us to have kingdom eyes, eyes that see things the way you see them. Help us to see from your perspective. Help us to see ourselves, others, the world from your perspective, we pray. Father, help us to practice immediacy. Help us not to grow tired, to grow weary of doing good, but to pursue you, to practice your best, to be disciples of yours. And help us, Father, to encourage one another. Help us to recognise what it is to be a part of the family of faith, that we've been invited to follow you. That was the only qualification for joining your family, the invitation. And so, Father, we pray as we respond to your invitation, as we invite others to do the same. We thank you, your goodness and grace surely follow us every day of our lives. But we do ask for more of you. Father, help us to better see you, to better know you, to better walk closely with you. Because yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, now and forever. Amen.